the Sports Career Podcast, episode 332. How can feedback improve your chances of getting hired? and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who can inspire and encourage you to be the best version of yourself in the career you want to pursue. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is George Stone. George is the director of HR at Shields where he specialises in HR business strategy, organisational growth and change management. Also, he has such a passion visiting schools with regards to helping students understand how they can apply themselves in the employment world. So it's such a joy to have him on the podcast show and that's when today's episode, George will share his career journey and explain to you how feedback can be such a powerful tool to support you when getting a job really want to pursue. Have a listen and enjoy. George, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. I know we go way back, but from a professional standpoint, can you just share to the listeners your career journey? When did it all start? Of course, yes. Well, thank you firstly for, for having me on. It's an absolute uh, pleasure. Um, Started straight out of school, actually. Um, didn't go to university myself, just started with a, a part-time role, I thought, to just earn some extra money on, on the side. And then I stayed in that business for uh, just over six years. And it was a really high growth business, uh, which gave me lots of opportunities. So I managed to move into a senior management position there. And then from that point, I've had a couple of different jobs and, and found my way into strategic HR roles now, um, which I enjoy very, very much, very people focused and, and people driven. Um, so, yeah, it's been an accelerated journey for sure, but uh, a very enjoyable one that's, uh, that's still going. I want to unpack that onion with regards to when you just left school, because I think you would agree now there's so much more information when we started our careers. And I'm just curious that with regards to that choice of not going to uni, just for any listeners listening in, like reflecting now, what have been the benefits? Because there are choices now. But when we started, people think it's only school, universities, like this milestone. Nothing wrong with that path. That's what I did. But I'm curious on that decision and what made you make that decision to go straight into the workforce very early on? Yeah, I think it was two major things. The first one I talk about quite a lot when people ask me this question um, um, about university and employment, what's better? Really, the real question should be what's better for you individually. This is what helped me in, uh, when I was at that age. I knew that the university environment was not really going to help me achieve what I wanted to achieve. For me, university showcases, you know, ability to learn very quickly, learn very independently, research independently, 
meet lots of people and be very, very social. At the age of 16, I was not good at any of those things. So when it came to university applications, I just knew that the environment was probably not going to support me. And um, I don't think I would have got the most out of it that other people could. I recognised that when I started part-time work when I was 16 and it went full-time at 17, I just recognised that that environment that was hands-on, that allowed me to learn from a mentor, you know, physically from a manager, having conversations in a certain way or doing things in a certain way, was my learning style. I've never been somebody that could go and independently research a topic, write about that topic. I learned that really when I was at, at college, when I took a subject like history, for example, and I thought, wow, this has taken a big curve for the old uh, independent research. So I think it depends on who you are and where your strengths lie and what, what strengths you actually want to develop. Sometimes university is necessary for the industry that you have to that you're looking to get into qualification is necessary in other cases some people go to university because they want to study that subject they have a passion great but if you're unsure then my advice is always okay what environment do you think that you're going to excel in and what environment do you think is going to help develop you the best because you obviously don't want to make the wrong decision. It could could, uh, could be expensive, but ultimately don't worry too much about it. it would always be my advice. I think it's such a great reply because I'm, I'm going to make this more of a case study. When I was, you know, hanging out with Tom Chips, we go way back, George and I, way back, like from school times, everybody. So this is why it gets quite personal because George has gone one path. I went another path. During this period when I knew George early on, I was doing a lot of tennis coaching, wanted to work in sports, but that was all I knew. When I went to university and studied sport, looked at policy, look at psychology, look at physiology of sport, it opened up the spectrum of the sports industry. So relating to your point, George, for me, I had to make that investment going to university to see what other career options were out there, because in the environment of Surrey, it wasn't in that environment. So I'm so glad you mentioned it's all about the environment we work in. I want to bring in Top Golf because I've spoken to a few people before this podcast chat because for me, what I've learned from you, when I say an outsider, learning from looking out from a different perspective, when I've seen you in that top golf environment, because I assume that's the business you worked in very early on with your earlier answer, could you just share this journey? Because firstly, I hope the listeners are taking notes of what you've just said beforehand, but could you just share your top golf journey? Because for me, learning from Tom, watching you, I have seen you because I did go to top golf a few times to enjoy the experience. But how did you develop your skill sets in that environment to help you to, to be where you are now in that sort of HR industry? Well, I think it comes down to three, three quick things. It was a, a bit of luck, right place at the right time. And I'll talk about why that's important about um, the opportunity that was presented. But two, it's having the ambition to seize opportunity and, and not sit back. And three, I think just generally having the confidence to have my own concepts and, and innovate and do things my way. Um, and that, you know, if you push enough on that, you make your own luck. So a bit of luck, a bit of taking opportunity and a bit of making your own luck. Um, Could you define what you mean luck? Well, uh, luck in the sense of uh, top golf for context, when I joined that organization, I was 16. It was not the big phenomenon that it is today. It was a very small company, a very small business that was loss making and had probably 25 or 30 staff in one venue. 
by the time that I left, that was closer to 250 staff in one venue. And I was working across three of those venues. So, you know, I probably played a part in that. But ultimately, I think Top Golf was on a trajectory of success anyway. It was probably always going to pick up. Um, so luck in that sense of being in the right place at the right time. But um, on my third point about making your own luck, that's, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And you have to learn to fail fast and you have to take risk. You know, um, when you want to progress or you want to be ambitious, it takes courage. Otherwise, everybody would do it. It's not easy, right? Just, just on the courage side, going back to when you are 16, can you remember that, should we say, first interview or interaction to make a good first impression to get your foot in the door? Uh, I Yeah, I absolutely can. Um, it was the first time I remember riding my BMX round and handing Top Golf my CV. Um and they gave me a call and I went into a large recruitment function. So there was probably 20, 25 people there, which can definitely be intimidating. Um, and I remember just being able to put on a good front and talk about, you know, the fact that I thought that I'd be good at sales, good at, good at influencing others and, and somebody that, that was passionate. And I think that was probably enough to get me in the door back then. Um, and then from that point, I was able to to have a really interesting journey over the next six years. Final part on this, because this is vital, and I will touch on it later, but you've mentioned about it was a bit intimidating. How did you control that emotion and just showcase your confidence in an authentic way in that period of time? I think you have to pick your moment about where you know your skills are going to be. So, for example, at this particular recruitment function at Topgolf, you had um, various different components of the recruitment night. One was actually playing golf in a team facility. One was building um, a particular project on a flip chart with with a group dynamic. One was one-on-one. -on -one, and I think one was like an X Factor audition. Now I knew in the group dynamic that I could be somebody that takes control, get hold of the pen, as I always say, get hold of the pen in those scenarios. And you can bring people in and you can also showcase that that you, you have the high level vision of what you're doing. So for me personally, I managed to just recognize that that was going to be the area that I knew that I could succeed in as somebody that's always been probably on the nat natural born leader side of things, somebody that wants to take control, whether I had any leadership quality or not, but definitely wanted to be one. Um, so I, you know, identify that, that area and, and went for it and played to my strengths, I guess, which is what you need to do in those cases. And how about the moments where it was challenging? Let's say the X Factor moment. So I'm putting you on the spot because this is so relevant for people in, in, in any industry. And I think you've just hit the nail on the head on, you know, taking advantage of the strength element. But how did you cope when you were like out your comfort zone? Yeah, you you know, you need to, it comes down to a little bit of preparation. You need to have a plan, you need to know what, you know, what you're trying to do. And, and like I say, when it, when it comes to interviews or these scenarios, when you're out of your comfort zone and you're under pressure, you want to just like uh, an elite footballer that's playing in the Premier League, when you're one-on-one -on -one with the keeper, you don't want to be thinking about all your options. You want it to be muscle reflex. That's why you train every day. You want to know this is the shot type I want to take and I'm going to take it without thinking about it. So you need to be able to understand your strengths and your weaknesses very well, whether it's just one or two points, so that whether it's an X Factor audition where you have to talk about yourself for two minutes, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one interview, you have the ability to naturally 
fall back into a habit of talking about the things that you are very confident confident about, especially when they come to your strengths. If you spend too much time thinking and trying to rationalize the best thing to say, you probably, like lots of people, are going to stumble or going to find that very difficult because high pressure environments are difficult. That's why they're called high pressure environments. So you need some some muscle memory, I think. And that really comes with a bit of practice and a good bit of self-awareness. Yeah. And doing the reps as well of, like you're saying, failing forward or failing fast. Last one on the top golf, because honestly, I think it's a great sort of case study for the listeners. Reflecting those six years, what was, so we say, one weakness which has developed into a strength due to failing fast? I think that when I was at Top Golf, I had a very good opportunity to deal with high volume, um, not just customer face, but on the internal side of things. So when I was in a management position, the team grew from, for example, when I was a head of one department, that team grew from maybe eight employees to about 45. That's a lot of recruitment. That's a lot of coaching conversations. That's a lot of opportunity to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, have the wrong attitude, react emotionally. And I think I've always been somebody that acts first and thinks second. So that gave me the opportunity to, like I say, fail fast, make mistakes over and over and over again. Um, and the high volume opportunity at Top Golf allowed me to define what what makes me me and and how I can actually use those strengths. So when I was younger and I was in facing those opportunities, my strength was somebody that was always making a decision quickly, and I was able to define what the right and wrong decision was. I always talk about um, I always talk about management or coaching basically like being like a game of Yu-Gi-Oh. Do you ever play Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, long time ago. Right. Go on, so, excite me now. If you imagine every conversation that you have, coaching conversation, the words that you use, the answers that you need to give, every experience is a certain card. And throughout life, you're building and building your deck. And you could have the best deck in the world, but doesn't mean you're the best Yu-Gi-Oh player. It doesn't mean that you're the best at playing that game. The art comes from having a selection of cards and knowing which one to use at what time. So when I was in a high volume environment, I was able to build my deck very well. I was able to say my response and recognize that that got X reaction and build my deck of, of cards, my knowledge, my experience. Um, and then the art has come over the years for me of understanding when to play certain cards to motivate, to engage, or really to challenge somebody in the right way. So that's, I think, to answer your question, has been the thing that's helped me the most, was that I had a good opportunity to practice, 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 build up my deck, and now I'm still able to make very quick decisions, but I've got a few cards to choose from. Can we touch on the cards of what you mean? So could we say communication methods one, how to delegate another, and how to make a quick decision because it needs to be done? or make a decision by having 24 hours to really think about it. We're talking about staff here. We're talking about, you know, certain scenarios where you can't just fire somebody on the spot. You need to get all the evidence first before you make a real decision. I just want to talk about the decks of cards so the listeners can understand what you mean. I get what you mean because I can see your hands and body language. But for the listeners, just explain some of those cards. I'm just giving you a few hinters. If I'm wrong, let me know. But it's just uh, paint the picture for the listener. 
yeah, for example, let's say that um, somebody comes to you with a certain situation, maybe um, a team leader comes to you as a manager and says, I'm really struggling with this employee, they're, they're not listening to me. You've got an abundance of different ways to deal with that situation. One might say, okay, well, listen, you need to be more dominant. You need to assert yourself. You need to be more confident and you need to make sure that they, they are there to listen to every word that you say. That card might, might work in that scenario, it might not. Another one might be a more supportive function where you break that down, you hold their hands, you look at different ways to deal with that. Another scenario might be that you go and deal with it. You speak to the employee and you say, why, where's this breakdown happening? Whatever the different outcomes there, you've got many different options. And in a moment, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do to move forward. And in my career, I've been able to do all of those different versions. So now if that happens to me tomorrow, I need to be able to identify what's going on and I can pick the right card to hopefully engage the right result. That is gold. I hope people are taking notes. Just on the identity side, you said when you were 16, you started in the sales. When was the moment when human like resources was the angle from a so we say a career development standpoint? Because I don't want people thinking you start in sales, you work in sales for 20 years. It doesn't work like that. Every see so you're chuckling, but people think that when they're very young, they think they're in this department. And it's not true that the skills are transferable. So I just want to, from a self, you know self-awareness perspective when was the moment when ash you know human resources is my jam like relating to my experiences and during that period of six years can you just remember that moment going oh this is the route of how i can apply these skills into different companies different organizations but you knew hr was the route sure my journey probably started when i was very young and i actually always wanted to be a teacher I think that probably came down to three things. One, I wanted a platform for people to listen to me. <laughs> um, two, I wanted to do it my way. If it was your classroom, you could teach your way. Um, no one's telling you how to teach it. And three is the genuine passion to develop individuals, whether they want to get better or not, but a an opportunity to make somebody better than they were yesterday or whatever topic. Those three things I thought when I was younger were exclusive to teaching. But when I joined Top Golf and I naturally found myself in a team leader role, for example, I kind of looked at the managers that walked around and I thought, God, I really want to be one of those people. I really want to be somebody that gets to have people listen to what they have to say, gets to make a difference to them and develop them and gets to run the show how they want to run it. So I found that management in operations or people or just business actually helped tick a lot of those boxes for me. And when I started to progress in my career at Topgolf, it was more operational than it was specifically to HR. I didn't start as a HR advisor and work my way to HR executive and specialist and then HR manager. I actually came from an operational background and, and uh, was an operational manager day to day. But in a high volume hospitality industry, I like to think that day to day operations probably is 70 percent people management anyway. Um, so that enabled me to practice those. And I got a real kick out of the development side. So when I was looking at how to progress my own career, I recognized that business has four major pillars, sales, finance, operations and people. Generally, they're kind of your four major pillars. Um, 
I didn't want to do sales. I don't think I had, had the patience to do it. Numbers don't come naturally to me. I have been doing operations. So people was the, the way forward for me. I was able to do something that I was passionate about and challenge myself to bring a HR seat to the table that runs that organization and not just be somebody that sits and does a HR function to be a real senior leader that drives a business or organization forwards from a HR seat. So it was never straightforward and it was not a, a straight line upward. It was, you know, in one direction, taking opportunities operationally, recognizing what it is that makes me happy day to day. I saw that in coaching. I saw that in people practice. And I saw that in being somebody that could always give their advice, always give their opinion on things. And I recognized that HR for me holds all the keys. You have the opportunity in HRC to put your fingers in as many pies as you want um, because you're not accountable to one division of an organization. You, you are everywhere and you can be as involved or not involved as you want. So in the organization I'm in today at Shields, I like to think that I'm involved in multiple divisions in that organization and not just focused on the people, but I'm able to use my position to have that influence everywhere. So uh, I recognized HR as the, the place to go to, to, to hit the nail on the head of what would make me happy day to day. And just to sort of put you a little bit on the spot, because you said your passion really at the beginning was to be a teacher. But on this podcast, I had a guy called Dr. Bill Sutton, a fantastic professor. He's re retired now in the sports uh, business world. But he said a quote to me going, actually, real teaching is taking the classroom outside the classroom into the real world. You know, we, we can all learn in a classroom environment, but it's how it's applied in, in the industry standpoint. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, because really teaching or being an effective coach, it's really how we live, the lifestyle we live in how we communicate. So I'm just curious of how you've put those teaching principles, but you don't have the label of being called a teacher. I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think it comes down to the rule of never miss the opportunity to coach. Never walk by somebody or something and go, I'll make a note of that. I'll, I'll write that one down for later and I'll talk about it later. 80% of the time you won't. You'll forget. You shy away from it. It's quite natural. People don't like challenge. They don't like to challenge others. They, they may find it awkward to give advice or to try to develop somebody in a certain area. For me, it's always come down to never miss the opportunity. When you see it on the floor, when you see it outside the classroom, when you see it day to day, take the opportunity to give feedback because all feedback is valid. Um, and you need to practice setting your expectation of giving that feedback to somebody. But ultimately, the more that you do that, the more you position yourself in an organization to be somebody that's always going to deliver coaching um, and is always going to have something to say. Um, it's a really great point you mentioned there about the classroom environment because in HR you have learning and development pillar which can be more classroom based that might be in specific training sessions remote training or physical classroom based training um, and that's great you've got the environment to set that up but you're right the real leaders are people that can on the day make a difference with what they're saying and have the confidence to challenge somebody and say, Hey, listen, you know, I need you to work on this area for me. Mm -hmm. And just on feedback. Thank you, Tom. I'm going to give you a shout because there's one area of topic. This is Tom chips. This is one side. He said, bring it in. And you've mentioned it already that the importance of feedback, 
But that's easy said than done because as humans, we take feedback differently. And a lot of time we get in that defensive mode. I'm just curious of how you look at feedback from an open-minded perspective, even if it's, just say, you know, critical, you know, feedback. I just want to explain to the listeners the benefits of feedback, which you've already done, but it's easy said than done because we can get defensive. So I just want your thoughts on that from your experiences, good practice of good feedback. That makes sense. My experience is that all feedback is valid. That is someone's opinion. And when somebody presents you with facts, I think that we're presented with the feedback has to be factual, factually accurate. Feedback cannot be opinion driven. For example, let's do a role play, Ed, you and I. Let's say you work for me and I say, hey, Ed, it comes across to me as if you're really disengaged with your work day to day. Now, that's my opinion. I might not have any facts. In fact, I might say, Ed, I actually don't have many facts to to build this up. It's just the way that it's coming across to me right now. So body language. So I'm going to do case study and then I can, I assume of that reasoning, because it's the communication of how I look, of looking disengaged. So it's body language to a point or yes. tonality or carry Potentially. on. So you may say that and I say, and I say, yeah, um, you know, it, it, for, for whatever reason it is, it comes across to me this way. And you may agree or disagree with that in your mind. Let's say you disagree and you think, well, I'm not disengaged. I try really hard. And you give me that, those thoughts. The problem isn't no longer that Ed is disengaged. The problem is, is that Ed believes that he is and he is producing X and I am not seeing it. I have entered into this discussion thinking that he's disengaged. So the feedback is no longer that you're disengaged, Ed. And I never started that conversation saying that you were. I said it comes across to me this way. So now let us solve this issue together and figure out why I entered this discussion feeling that way. Is there something I need to do differently? Is there something that you need to do differently? Or... Sorry to interrupt, or I may have an issue that you don't know, let's say a family issue, and I said, actually, I'm disengaged because of, I don't know, family members not well. Actually, I'll be real to you. My uncle's got cancer at this moment. Yeah, of course. Is that a priority at work, or am I more... I'm being... I want to keep things real. A lot of people are disengaged because it's another reason outside work that may be why they're disengaged too. Um, and I and, and when, you, when I give you that response back, my uncle's got cancer, that's been more a priority than work... You've got the answer. You were right that I was disengaged, but you now understand why. I think that's half the point. Carry on. <laughs> this exactly. is gold. And and in, and in in that example, if you were if you did have something to say, yeah, do you know what I am disengaged because of X, Y, and Z? Then that's great because my feedback was accepted. My example was if you didn't accept my feedback and you thought I'm not disengaged, then the issue isn't that I think. Uh, the issue isn't that you're engaged or not. The issue is that I came into discussion thinking it. So when I say all feedback is valid, it's because I want people to start opening themselves up to hearing other people's opinions. If somebody has an opinion about you, it would be better to take on board their opinion and think to yourself, why is it that they have this of me? Regardless of if you believe that they're, what they're saying or thinking is true or not. I've received lots of feedback before in the past that, I'll think, you know what, that's, I, I don't believe that to be 100% accurate. I don't believe that's a fair reflection on me or my skills. So the question I ask myself is, why do they think this? 
there must be a reason. I must have done something. There must be something in the way that I... Well, there's data with my performance that proves it. Yes, exactly. When I say, you know, why feedback is important and how we can deal with it in a more open mindset, I think people need to realize that it's not always what's actually being said is why it's being said. And if you can be self-aware enough to understand your strengths and weaknesses, and if you're giving feedback of something that you don't believe is particularly accurate, then fine. Ask yourself the question, why does this person think this? And I think you will find a good resolution for both of you to continue to move forward. It's less about the problem and more how you deal with it. So um, that's why I always think about feedback. And if we can, if you can build a culture in an organization or in a team that allows people to be open to that feedback, whether it's factual or opinionated, then great, that's the first step. And then the next step would be, how can I coach the people giving the feedback to use the better language and to position themselves in a better way to deliver feedback to somebody so that they won't get it. So with regards to building a culture, because this leads so naturally in the conversation now, the whole key is within a team, it's be able to have the ability to be actually be authentic with one another. Then actually just giving opinions of each other of how to review. Because if, if we're more authentic of how we work, surely we'll be able to be better as a team when we've got those high-performance KPRs to, to hit. Would you agree on that side of things? Because that's the key of being more open. Yeah, it's not being open-minded with our mindset. It's actually how we communicate of being our best version of ourselves in a safe environment. So I just want, I want your... Hold each other accountable. Yeah, exactly. So, God, man, my, my head's spinning now. Just different thoughts are coming in. But how do we implement that in a workforce then? So well saying build a culture... But what are your, from your experience, has worked where it provides this openness within a team? I think it comes down to, firstly, defining what it is that you want to be as a team. At the beginning, once the definition has been built together, we want to be an open team that holds each other accountable. Okay, great. Well, let's together set expectation at the start of this journey about how it will transpire. So at the beginning, we set expectation that we are as individuals going to hold each other accountable, which means that we will be giving each other feedback. It means that when we receive feedback, we have to be graceful and we have to listen and let it swirl around in our head before we get defensive. If we set expectation of what we want to do and how we want to make it work, we will find that journey far more pleasant than just sitting at the start saying, let's build a great culture of feedback but not actually defining how it is done. Once you set expectation about what is going to be involved in this culture of feedback, people will be more accepting of the steps that are to follow. Then you can start with smaller sprint side steps to help develop people with how they give feedback, develop people with how they receive feedback and develop people with how they implement and calibrate on what they actually need to do day to day to, to, to work on what they've been talking about. So identification and definition at the start, what it is that you want to achieve and what you want it to look like, setting expectation of the steps to follow. And then throughout the steps, we work on individually developing those skills to make the end goal closer and closer. So again, I want to bring this full circle because I know you're so passionate about helping so we say young people at the entry level, when that's all built, when you get new staff at the entry level, 
what's really refreshing to hear is they're already naturally accepted than them thinking they've got an expectation to deliver right from the get-go. Because I, when I started my sports career, I was nervous as anything because there was this high expectation to make such a big impression so I don't leave. That's sort of the defense we have when we start a career. But what you've said by building a culture, they feel accepted right from day one. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, I think this is where lots of organizations and individual managers can can fall over and stumble because their expectation for a new starter, especially if it's somebody that is just younger and it is their first few steps into something, is going to be that they're at the level of the person that's already been in that role or at the end of their journey or somebody that's just got more experience. Potential and experience are always two aspects that are going to kind of be bouncing off of each other. But if you expect somebody to just have all of the answers from day one, it's likely they're going to fail, especially if it's in a, in, um, a position that is entry level. You need to be able to, at the start, again, identify what it is exactly you're looking for in a person. Is it experience or is it attitude and potential? From day one, do they need to make a difference because they've got the experience and the answers to roll them out? Or from day one, are you looking for somebody that's passionate, energetic and willing to learn? You need to be able to understand and define that. Then when they're actually in the business, you as a leader must, again, come comes back to setting expectation. What does good look like to you as a leader? And what does bad look like? Then from day one, that person has got the paths in front of them to know how to frustrate somebody or how to impress them. Um, and it's very clear. Then it falls back on the company about, you know, how often do you give feedback? How often are you um, challenging them and, and supporting them? But ultimately, you need to set expectation at the start and build that relationship about what good looks like. Otherwise, people are just swinging in the dark, aren't they? Well, that's what that was my next point. Like with a review system, I've had an, a great investor. And it's the same thing with investing when you're getting funding. When you bring an investor on board, they recommend quarterly sort of board meetings. It could be applied here, quarterly review. Would you say quarterly, so 90-day periods is a good review system just to get things going as a suggestion? I could be wrong, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because it's practical for the listener. Yeah, at the start of a new starter's journey, I'd say probably takes up 70% of whether that person will be successful or not. The first 12 weeks, in my mind, are the most important. In the first 12 weeks, this person should have been inducted with their expectation being set. They should have probably for their first four weeks, weekly learning objectives, quick fire, easy. You know, week one, learn everyone's names and, and, and get to talking to everyone. Week two, learn the system, whatever they look like. They're quite simple. But then you have a monthly review at the end of each four week period for the first 12 weeks where you can give great feedback to them, whether it be constructive or positive, and you can set monthly goals. They're no longer weekly goals, they're now monthly goals for the next three months, so that that person has a clear expectation of how to succeed. They're told very early areas that are starting to wobble, they need to focus on, um, and they're given clear direction of what's important for them to focus on in the first three months of their journey, because what you achieve after 90 days is very different to what you need to achieve after 90 weeks, you know? So um, you need to be able to give that clear expectation from the start, of course. And the more feedback that you give, the better. Never miss an opportunity to coach. 
doesn't mean you have to wait four weeks to give someone feedback. You can do it daily if you need to. 100%. It goes back to that first point when building the, the culture. It's about the accountability side. Again, I hope people are taking notes. Going back to you now, I know this is a real passion of you going to schools and sort of talking there. Like, what's the passion behind that? And, you know, we've talked about the workforce area environment. What aspects can be implemented in, in a school environment so we pass on these lessons effectively, but it's not overwhelming, if that makes sense. I don't know about you, but when I had career stuff at Shiplake, I took it on board, but I'm in a bubble. I'm in a school bubble. I just want to enjoy my you know, time at school because when that's gone, it's gone. So I'm just curious of when you're back in that school environment, how you find the balance of them enjoying the experience, but also taking this information on board. Of course. So, um, yes, so I... I at the moment have been visiting local schools in Essex and Surrey to generally 16, 17, 18 year olds that are looking to get into employment. Because as you said, there's probably a bit of a gap there between education to employment, a little bit of a gap between leaving school and then suddenly, you know, you're working for an employer and expectations have changed. The game has changed. Um, so starting to engage students in what that might look like, but most importantly, how they make the jump from education into employment so when I go there I do an hours um, workshop which is just broken down into three sections building their CV actually applying and then some interview skills try to make that interactive with them but the most important thing and I think this comes with anybody that's doing an application without the experience whether you're 16 applying for a first-time job or whether you're 21 and you finish university and you haven't got five, 10 years of experience on your CV to go for this next role that you're looking at. What I talk about is that your application should not be focused on previous experience. It should be focused on you personally, what you bring, what your strengths are and what you have learned to date. So when I talk about the education section on CV at these classes, I talk about don't just list your grades and don't just list what you're gonna study in college and university list why you've chosen those subjects and what you have learned from those subjects that you could apply day to day. For example, university taught me to be independent, to be able to research, to build relationships quickly and fast with multiple people, skills that are transferable to experience when you don't have a fat experience section on your CV. So I talk a lot about how to fill that document and application up with vital information that students and younger generations these days are just leaving off they've got a really thin application because they think that it has to be filled with x y and z has to be a generic personal statement has to be their experience which is nil and has to be their grades and that's it and i say throw that out the window let's talk about your ambitions on this piece of paper what you love where you want to be in 10 years what you're recognized for by your friends and family already what you're passionate about and what you have learned to date that will make you really attractive to the employer or yeah, to the employer. Final thing, if I can add, cause I do give it to sports industry and you're spot on with focusing on the skill. I, I always say tailor your CV to how you add value to that organization, because then it's like you're filling a position that can solve a problem for them because at the end of the day, we're problem solvers. So, sorry, I'm going to add that little bit. I hope you don't mind because students get racked up with the CV but I love your point with focusing from a skill standpoint, if that means what you're studying or the environment you're in. 
wow, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this conversation. Out of interest, though, George, reflecting, what have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back right now? I think it, it's the fact that I've been able to fulfill that that need when I was younger of wanting to be the teacher for those three reasons. I've been able to make a difference to organizations, which kind of fulfills the leadership side of me, somebody that wants to, to be a driving force. But I've actually been able to help. Um, well, I hope that I've been able to help lots of people along that journey, whether they were 16 and they were starting at Top Golf or whether they're, you know, at the back end of their career, but they're they're still looking to achieve new things. Um, I've been able to add value um, and that makes me feel good day to day. That's what gets me up um, to be able to add value to somebody's life. And, and if they want to do something tomorrow, I can help hopefully them to get there. So I've been able to do that in, in a few really great opportunities and, and have learned a lot from it. So, yeah, I'm very happy to, to have done what I've done over the last 10, 11 years. 100%. I can hear the tone of how much you want to enjoy helping people, by the way. Out of interest, I always finish with an inspirational question, George. What three tips would you give to the listener right now with regards to applying themselves in the workforce with confidence? Like, what would those three tips be? Number one, it's not always about you. So listen and trust. Whether you think you know the answers or you don't agree, Sometimes it's better to just sit back and listen and trust. Just like when your parents told you when you were younger, oh, when you're an adult, you want to be a kid again. And you sat there and you thought, no, I don't. I want to be an adult. And now we're all adults and we think, God, I'd love to be 12 again. Um, sometimes it's better to just listen. It's not always about you. But number two, it probably is a little bit about you. So you're responsible for your reaction. Um if somebody is giving you feedback, if somebody's trying to make you better, you need to worry a little bit more just about you. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about what other people are getting paid or how their career progression is going or what they're doing to get themselves forward or, or um, to get the next step. Focus on you. You're the person responsible for how you react. You're the person that's responsible for the next steps that you can take. So it really is a little bit about you. And the third one, is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Progression takes courage. It's not easy, otherwise everybody would do it. Take the scary jump and push yourself in an area that you don't find easy. If you want to be ambitious and you want to continue to move forward, you cannot do that by doing the same thing every day. So top three tips. Number one, it's not always about you. So listen a little more and trust a little more. Two, it probably really is just about you. You're responsible for your reactions. So take pride in focusing on yourself and worry a little bit less about others. And three, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Progression is hard. It takes courage. So take the big jumps. Man, love it. Love the third one in particular, taking the jump, because it does take courage. Out of interest, George, how can people interact with you online? Like where are the best places for people to go to connect with you? Um, yeah, on LinkedIn. Um you know that's that's my only real social media platform so um on linkedin absolutely connect with me let's have a conversation a coffee catch up i'd love to hear people's experiences maybe i can add some value but likely i'll learn something from you so please do reach out awesome to all the listeners listening in that linkedin link will be on my blog with regards to this podcast chat george it's been a joy chatting with you today thank you very much thank you
Thank you. What a great podcast chat with George and literally putting aside the friendship I've known George for many years from my upbringing, from an industry standpoint relating to this podcast topic, I hope you can see the power of feedback and how feedback is so crucial. It's just how you approach it. Like George said so clearly that you could take an opinion as feedback or data uh, as feedback when there's metrics behind it. And I really enjoyed the case studies we shared in this podcast because we try to keep them as real as possible because as human beings, we really take opinions more personally. And then with data, we take it because it's fact, which is true. But at times where the real trust is built within a team, like George said, with the accountability aspect and actually having like a policy, like a feedback policy, which was phenomenal. I'm so glad that was integrated in the conversation. I think feedback is something that can help with any processes. If it's the process of running a great team, if it's a process of getting employed, not just in the sports industry, but any industry. But with regards to this podcast chat, I hope you can see that feedback is a great way of how you approach getting your next job. So if you've experienced a bit of adversity, a bit of rejection, don't be shy to follow up and ask for feedback. And actually, if you do ask for feedback, that company will respect you. I've had incidences when I've asked people to do that who I've mentored, and it's amazing the feedback they get. And then when they apply it, they see what they're trying to achieve and the rewards they get of getting the role they want. So honestly, for me, I'm so glad I have this as a topic on the podcast from an employability standpoint. But with regards to George's journey, I hope you've learned that really anything's possible. Like we're in a world now that things are totally different from when we were growing up. Uh, you've got more access to knowledge. You've got podcasts, I like to say like mine, but you've got different resources of where you can elevate your personal development with different sources of information. Um, and what I love about George is much that George didn't have the passion of going to university at that time. He still has that growth mindset to keep developing. And this is what it's all about. Not just with regards to mastery, um, something I'm always pursuing in mastering my skills, but just as an attitude perspective, it's really, really important. So I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat, but most importantly, put into action. But before you put into action your biggest takeaway, if you've enjoyed this podcast chat, please leave an honest review relating to your experience listening to this podcast. I can't wait to read your review and also subscribe as well if you want more podcasts like this that can support your sports career development. Now I want you to apply your key takeaway learning lesson from this podcast from George and apply it to your sports career development now and take action. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. George said, take the scary jump in an area that you don't find easy. If you want to be ambitious and you want to continue to grow, you can't do the same things that are easy every day.